Welcome to Pop and Lock. I'm Natalie Dowzicki. And I'm Landry Ayers. Joining us to discuss Tarantino's nonlinear, uncategorizable, black comedy, neo-noir, gangland camp extravaganza are Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, Michael Cannon. How are you doing, Landry? As well as Culture Editor at The Bulwark, Washington Post contributing columnist and co-host of Across the Movie Isle, Sonny Bunch. Hello. All right, so fans of this 1994 classic love to point out that it basically resurrected John Travolta's acting career. But another common reaction to the film that many people like walked away with, a lot of people said that they didn't understand the point or like the purpose of the movie. Why do we think that is? I think there are uh, a lot of reasons. Uh, People got distracted by the extreme violence in this movie. Uh, They wondered, why are these gangsters engaging in such pedestrian, but also humorous banter? Uh, The, 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 the narrative was uh, non-linear or didn't unfold. The scenes didn't unfold in chronicle chronological order. And so, a lot of viewers are probably thrown by that. Wait, this happened before that? And why is this the final scene of the movie if it's not the last thing that happened in the lives of these characters over this time span? I think there were a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of really neat things that, uh, that, that Tarantino did that I think helped, uh, drive the main theme of the film, but, uh, were not the sort of things that people are used to seeing when they, go to the movie theater and so uh, a lot of those things through them what's interesting about this is that tarantino through samuel l jackson's character uh, actually explains the point of the movie though which is like he there's literally a sermon literally a biblical sermon at the end of the speech where he talks about being the shepherd of of men and you know etc etc and if you're not paying attention to the film if you if you uh, if you are confused as to why John Travolta is killed earlier and now he's back in the movie at the end, you, you kind of don't understand the point, which is that he continued being a bad man and doing bad things and he, he got murdered. He got, he got straight up killed. Uh, I mean, it's like, it's like not, it's not, it's not, I, I mean, I, again, I don't think that's the point of the movie. I don't think that is like the, I don't think Quentin Tarantino is making a message film. This is not, um, you know, uh, a, a, a movie that is necessarily trying to teach people the right way to live, but it is like a fairly obvious literal moral parable. Like it, it, again, it's not subtle. It's it's literally in the in the uh, language of the Bible. Uh, it's like biblical. It's like Old Testament uh, stuff. Uh, you know. So I mean, I I uh, I don't know. It's um, it's uh, it, it it the the reaction to this film has always been very like weirdly frustrating to me because people don't people 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 just get hung up on the uh either the language or the violence um not much sex in this one but you know uh the, the drug use etc and like i i don't the idea that it's glorifying any of the stuff is is kind of crazy but what it, what does it do then is it adding to the genre is it 
um, sort of trying to amplify a certain idea because there it is obviously is a stylized use of of violence and, and drugs, not quite as much as some of Tarantino's later work that becomes even more stylized. You've got like Kill Bill and everything, but you can see sort of where it came from with Pulp Fiction in a lot of ways. What does the use of violence and how it's how it is done do for the rest of the movie? I mean, because obviously I think it was Bob Dole in 1995 was there were a lot of I think he cited uh, natural born killers and another Tarantino film as being like exemplifying this like turn towards gratuitous violence that was being glorified and, you know, nonsense like this. Um, But he also cited. Pulp Fiction is, I think, glorifying heroin use, and one of the studios that had this before Miramax completely funded it um, was actually like super hesitant about funding this movie because of the way that it showed com- like like a compassionate almost angle or at least a a full angle of someone that was using heroin. So, what do those examples do for the movie that those people were missing? Well, so Bob Dole had a problem with all the films you mentioned, but he said that True Lies was okay. Despite its uh, violence and borderline racism, it was okay because Arnold Schwarzenegger gave to Republican candidates and, uh, and the, 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 the people involved in those other films didn't. Uh, uh, I got to go ahead and disagree with Sonny here. I do that with some trepidation because people pay Sonny for his views about films. And I don't have, have that, you know, <laughs> people don't pay me for that. But I got to disagree. I think this is a message film. And I think all of the, the the violence and the drug use and even some things that seem obscure and made people wonder why is that even in the film, they all serve what I think is the message of the film, which is a message of how do you – how do you break the cycle of violence? And, and the, the, the sermon is part of that. One thing I love about the, the, the sermon, uh, in the diner scene is that, uh, is that like ma- many biblical interpretations, I mean, it's so open to interpretation. It could go either way. Jules uses the same biblical passage at the beginning of the film, uh, to be a vicious killer that he uses at the end to be, or to try real hard to be the shepherd and to, and to, and to break the cycle of violence. And if you look at it through that lens, that what Tarantino is trying to accomplish is to show people how on a personal level or show them what is necessary on a personal level to deescalate conflict, to break the cycle of violence, then you see all of these elements of, of the film lining up to serve that goal. Uh, and that includes all of the horrible and what seems to be gratuitous violence, uh, at least vicious uh, violence uh, that we see, such as, you know, the, 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 the sermon, the, the speech that Jules gives w- when he and Vincent Vega are retrieving Marcellus Wallace's briefcase uh, from the guys who stole it. When you think about it, you know, he didn't really need to be so cruel about it and and go through the motions of giving this lecture because he was going to kill three of these four guys anyway. Uh, but he did that uh, to establish the character of these two individuals, that they really were vicious killers, uh, to to heighten the drama and the, um, the, the change of heart that one of them would have 
after a near death experience. Uh, and, and so even, and, and the violence that we see in the, uh, in the, uh, Butch and Marcellus storyline also serves a similar, a similar function because it shows just how dramatic, uh, a, a change of heart you can affect when you put yourself at risk to help, uh, to help an enemy. Uh, and that is, you know, that's what happened in the, in, in, in both, uh, the, the, the Jewel storyline and the, the Butch and Marcellus storyline. So I see all of these elements and all of the really horrible violence in this movie as serving a, a very optimistic and, and, and positive message that Tarantino wanted to convey. Uh, sure. I, 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 I don't even, <laughs> I don't even, I don't even really disagree with that. I do think that that is, that is, that is at least in part the point of the 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 story. I, I just mean it's not a message movie in the sense that it's not a God is dead type thing. I, I, I hesitate to call anything a message movie, um, you know, but it should be. We should also note that uh, Tarantino rewrote that Bible passage. The, it's it is him. It is him like, you know, it, it is like rewriting the end of World War Two or rewriting uh, the 1969 Hollywood. Uh, he is very he's very fond of um uh, re- remaking things to in in into his own uh, preferred image. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I again, I, I think that the the violence the 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 violence the violence in this movie is entertaining, uh, and that is why it is there as much as anything else. It's like anything else that Tarantino does; he does it because it's it is more or less entertaining, and that's fine. That's fine. Also, True Lies is good, Michael Cannon. Uh, True Lies is True Lies is a good movie about killing bad people, and all the best movies are <laughs> are about killing bad people. So, True Lies is great. It's about family and relationships. It's, it's, I, I it's, too love I too love True Lies, uh, and Tom Arnold I think was the best part of that film. <laughs> Why do we never find out what's in the glowing suitcase or briefcase, rather? What what's the what's the purpose of that? Why why do we not find out what it is? This has bothered me for so long. <laughs> I I have heard a lot of explanations. I'm always curious what people think. Uma Thurman's character asks if it's Beatles or Elvis. This is my you know this is one of mine. What do you think was in the suitcase? Why do we not find out? Because as soon as we we don't find out because as soon as Ross and Rachel kiss then we're not as interested in their relationship anymore. I mean, it's the, the mystery is, is why we're still talking about the briefcase. It drives interest. And, um, and, and I think, you know, I think we all know without them saying what is in the briefcase. It's Marcellus Wallace's soul or, 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 or some such thing, which was, which was taken out of the back of his head by Satan himself or something like that, which is why Marcellus has that bandaid back there in, in his first scene. Well, this is it's a pre Reddit Reddit movie. Pulp Fiction is because it it has a lot of little it has like a lot of little things that you can look into. I mean, the the briefcase, what the what's the glowing thing in the briefcase is the big one, of course. Um, but I, I saw somebody somebody talking about uh, they couched it as a fan theory that like uh that Bruce Willis's boxer character is the one who's who keyed John Travolta's car. 
remember there's like he's talking about how he got a, he just got his car out of storage and uh and you know i can't believe it it's on the street for 30 minutes and somebody keys it i wish i could have caught the guy who did it i would just would have but and and i and i i was kind of like oh come on that's silly that that's a silly fan theory fan theories are dumb and then Tar- tarantino himself in an inter- interview like during once upon a time in hollywood was like no that's what that is what i intended for people to take away from it that that it was uh in fact uh, butch keying keying the car which is again it's interesting it's like uh, it's like these little things that kind of pop up throughout and because because he has structured the the film in the way he has in this sort of non-linear uh recursive almost uh format you can you can get away with things like that that are both clever and also like I guess in hindsight kind of obvious um, that you you couldn't necessarily do if it was just a straightforward boom 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 here's the thing yeah I think there's like a there's a lot of holes but they they don't necessarily like disrupt the movie if that makes sense like I think it's almost like does lip service to the fans that there can be all these reddit pages of like people going back and forth and like that was the intention that there were so many holes that you could you could have these discussions that go on forever like 20 years later we're still talking about what's glowing in the suitcase yeah but but the briefcase is just a MacGuffin all MacGuffins are are good I mean it just it just is the thing that gets the story started and it was also a really powerful thing because not only did uh, did uh, Vincent Vega pause when he opened it and say, we're happy. And so it, it had an effect on him. But when Jules opens it in front of, in front of Pumpkin or Ringo, as Jules calls him, uh, it has, it has a, a, almost a transformative effect on him. You know, he says, is that what I think it is? And it, he says, it's beautiful. He almost begins to cry, uh, which is another uh i i think example of tarantino's genius in putting together this film because he 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 shows that even one of the guys that uh, one of the characters one of the most vicious characters who does not get on the road to redemption uh like butch and jules do marcellus wallace one of the most vicious characters because he's the one throwing johnny rocky horror out the window he's the one uh, on whose behalf Jules and Vince are doing all these horrible things. Even he has some good in him. And I th- think that's one thing, one purpose that the briefcase serves. It shows there is uh, some good and some beauty, even in this very evil person. And we do see another glimpse of that when, uh, when he lets Butch go, when Butch puts himself at risk to save Marcellus and then Marcellus lets Butch go. So I, I, I bans I, him from I, Los I, Angeles. I, his, his well, Los you know, that's, privileges are revoked. That's 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 right. That's right. But uh, all of this stuff that happens between uh, Bruce, uh, Bruce Butch, and Marcellus is pretty horrible. And when you think about it, yes, Marcellus coerced Butch into throwing a fight, and then you can't really say Butch double crossed him, uh, be, and he never even really lied to him. Uh, but uh, but Marcellus was understandably angry uh, over that. And then he ran over Marcellus with his car and then drew Marcellus into this shop and then beat the crap out of him and then left Marcellus to have incredibly, which, which caused Marcellus to have incredibly horrible traumatic things happen to him. And, and so, yeah, he, when, when Butch saves him, he does, Marcellus does say your LA privileges are revoked. He does that a little bit just to save face among 
I think my, my theory is he does have to save face among his gangster peers. Uh, um, uh, but, but you almost want to say that that's generous, uh, given all of the things that Butch has, has done to Marcellus at this point. It's also like one of those films that has so many characters in there because of the nature of the non-linear progression of the film. It's, um, it's so unclear, like who's supposed to be likable in the movie. So like, I, I mean that in a way that like, I'll, stupid movies make it like very obvious like this is bad person a and you're supposed to like this person and then this the hero goes after the bad person um it was very unclear to me it was like who was supposed to be likable in in the film i don't, I don't well, mean that, like in a negative way but like uh, but every everybody in this movie is likable though i mean that's that's actually yeah. the genius of the script is that there is no villain really except for like zed and his his right. ba- band of backwards you know la L.A. backwoods rapists. I don't know. I don't know exactly how that. Yeah, how that like works. deliverance. Yeah, in deliverance what? by way of Cienega. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but the but everybody in this movie is basically you know somebody who you could like you, who you at least understand and appreciate the motivations of um, and and could and and kind of enjoy being around even even Honey Bunny and and Ringo. Um, are like kind of amusing in their deranged uh, sort of way. So if you had to get dinner with one character from this film, <laughs> who would it be? Oh, Jules, hands down. Jules after after his transformation. Does that mean you get to have dinner with Jules and Samuel L. Jackson or just Jules? <laughs> <laughs> Miss Mia Wallace. Okay. You know? Okay. I feel like it would be a good conversation. Yeah, she's fun. She was in a pilot. <laughs> she can talk about, you know. Her jokes. Fox Force Five. Yeah, but do you know how to dance? I uh no, I don't dance. It's <laughs> a shame, Natalie. We have to cancel the dance segment of the podcast. Okay, right. Roll. Yeah, tell right. the dancers. We'll get. We'll get them back. Next <laughs> Send time. them home. <laughs> Shut it down. A, a lot of people think this is Tarantino's best. Do you agree? Why or why not? So I would say this is Tarantino's best. I think there are other Tarantino films that uh, did a better job on individual dimensions of the film. Like uh, in Glory, I think his best villain was Inglorious Bastards. Uh, uh, was it Christopher Waltz who played the the Jew hunter? And and I, you know, it, it's hard to find a more terrifying villain. Than uh, Christopher Waltz in 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 that film, and and you see, and much of that is Christopher Waltz's performance, but a lot of it is, I think, most of it is Tarantino's writing and direction, and you see some of that ability in, uh, I mean, you see a lot of that, a lot of that talent in Pulp Fiction. You see it in Marcellus Wallace. You see it uh, mostly in Jules Winfield. Some in Vince. Vince Vega, uh, the ability of these, uh, uh, you know, somewhat likable characters to be absolutely terrifying. Uh, but I don't think any of Tarantino's other films are the, the tightly written package, uh, uh, that Pulp Fiction is that is so efficient, accomplishes so much and, and has, uh, Despite all the violence, what I think is a very uh, positive, life-affirming, uplifting message. Even though you can find that in other Tarantino films as well. Yeah, I, I don't. 
I don't I don't like answering questions like this because it it, it, it I I think the, because my actual answer here is that he has essentially five perfect movies uh and but they're all doing they're all doing slightly different things. I mean Pulp Fiction is doing one thing, Jackie Brown, which is also a perfect movie, is doing another thing. Um and like I think I think people have come around to the fact that Jackie Brown is actually great but was was slept on at the time and and has has uh been reevaluated. Um uh Inglorious Bastards is uh is in the vein of Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2 and also Django Unchained in that it is kind of both a pastiche and uh a parody but not really a parody it, it's too serious to be a parody and it's also a, like playing with um history in a way that is really interesting and but honestly my favorite of his movies right now is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and it's not just because it's the one I've I've seen most recently although it is and I've I've watched it like f- six times since it was in theaters um but the it, it is uh, it is it's a profoundly uh People, people, the knock on Tarantino sometimes is that he is not, he is, he is, uh, he is not, it's not, it's not that he doesn't care. It's, it's that he is, uh, just kind of in his own little world. But I, I like, it is a profoundly sad movie in a way that, that none of his other movies are that final crane shot, uh, at the end of the movie where he, where, um, uh, Rick Dalton is talking to Sharon Tate and, and, um, uh, Emile Hirsch's hairdresser, I forget the name, um, uh, is, is, is a profoundly sad look at what might have been, which is very different from the end of Inglorious Bastards, which is a profoundly triumphant version of what might have been, um, and is, and you could say the same thing about Django Unchained, which is, you know, kind of another kind of, like triumphant rewriting of history, if you will, even though it's not really based on historical uh, character. Um, I, uh, sorry, I'm rambling. The, the the short answer is Pulp Fiction is definitely his best film, but he has like five best films. So I'll accept that answer. It's better than Forrest Gump. <laughs> Forrest Gump. I no. I see. Well, I, yes, it's better than Forrest Gump. Certainly, it's better than Forrest Gump. But I, I, I that, always that's what won the Academy Award that year. Forrest, Forrest Gump. Forrest, Forrest, whatever. Forrest Gump's a good movie, and I'm not gonna. I'm not. I, I don't mind. I don't mind throwing that out there. I, I enjoy Forrest Gump yeah, for what it is. For sure. It, which for is, what same. it is. For what it is. It's, yeah. In its that's genre. In its genre, it is Forrest Gump is one of the best. I it came out in '94. I saw Forrest Gump three times in the theater because I loved it so much. Uh, I, it had not, I think Pulp Fiction hadn't sunk in at the, at that point. And, uh, you know, Forrest Gump is the kind of movie it's easier to see three times in a row because you know, you're going to like it, you know, the experience you're going to have, it's going to be, uh, rewarding. So I, 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 I love it. Uh, and, and it did take some time for it to dawn on me how much of a travesty it was that, that Forrest Gump won over, uh, over not only Pulp Fiction, but also the Shawshank Redemption, which also came out in 1994. But as I mentioned in, uh, uh, in, in some notes I shared with you folks, uh, what can you expect from an Academy that also nominated Four Weddings and a Funeral for Best Picture in the same year? Uh, so, I mean, that, that, the Academy is what it is. Um, and, and, uh, at least they nominated Shawshank and, uh, Shawshank, uh, Pulp Fiction, and Quiz Show in 1994. 
I meant to bring this up earlier when we were talking about uh, the violence in the film, but why? So there's violence and there's crime throughout the entire film. How come we never see any police? <laughs> police? What has to do <laughs> I was with thinking anything? about it while I was watching. I was like, there has not been like, because even like a lot of time when movies surrounded by crime, you at, le- at the very least see like a cop car speeding towards the crime scene as people are leaving or something. We never see any police in this film. And cops are never there when you need them. Yeah, it was, um, it, it, you know, I guess it's open to interpretation. I, I, I guess I always sort of understood the absence of police to be an indication of how good these criminals were at their jobs. Like they could be in and out uh, uh, quickly enough after the shooting started that they don't seem the, that great the, at their jobs. Though. That the police weren't <laughs> going to be there. Um, uh, but yeah, if you if you count the seconds from when Jules first shot the, the the guy on the couch to when there was this fusillade from the hand cannon and and they made their way out of there, there probably would have been enough time for the LAPD to get there. Uh, and um, I guess it's not too surprising that they made it all the way to the junkyard uh, without a, a policeman uh, pulling them over, noticing anything about the car. And, uh, but I guess it's most surprising that you could have a hit and run <laughs> and, and have these two, these two crippled, uh, participants in that hit and run chasing each other and shooting each other down the street, popping into a storefront. And then, and, and then there's no police. That is the, the least plausible part of this. That, and that's when that, I noticed it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the real answer here is that plot mechanics demand it. That's, that's, you know, <laughs> that is, I, I don't know that there's like a profound, uh, profound or deeper message really than that. I mean, I, you know, Reservoir Dogs is all about a cop, uh, really. And, uh, I'm trying to think, I mean, Jackie Brown has significant police presence, although they're feds, you know, but, um, did y'all know? I didn't know this until today that John Travolta's role was originally written with Michael Madsen in mind. Um, and he was going to be because he plays Vic Vega in Reservoir Dogs. Um, and he's Vincent Vega in this when they got Travolta. And that it's sort of like Tarantino's, I don't know if it's headcanon or if he's floated the idea of writing like a, like they are brothers type scenario film would- before. Yeah, that was that was floated around for a while in the 90s. So there was going to be a Vega Brothers movie. You know, I, I think that died uh, a few years back. But I heard somebody mention that he might he might actually make a he might write a book about it. Like he wrote the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood novelization that he might do a Vega Brothers book, which would be interesting. That would be good. I always Natalie- like Michael Madsen was always one of my favorite people that Tarantino used a lot all the time. Like him and Hateful Eight or uh, yeah, and Hateful Eight is is my favorite. Yeah. In, in, in Kill Bill and Reservoir Dogs, uh, uh, ju- just wonderful. But uh, Natalie mentioned at the beginning that the Pulp Fiction kind of resurrected John Travolta's career. And that's, you know, one of the things I love about the film, because I remember John Travolta from Saturday Night Fever, from Grease. I, I, I may be the only one here who was born in the 70s, uh, who, who, who remembers these things when they came out. And, uh, and then not to see, I, I watched him on Welcome Back, Cotter. And then uh, to see him, you know, not to see him for so many years and come back as this, uh, I think it was a much better choice, not only for John Travolta, but for the film, because the Jackrabbit Slim twist contest would not have been what it was with Michael Madsen there. Uh, John Travolta made that a much better scene uh, 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 because, as my brother said, we all know he can dance. 
but also for the nostalgia reasons, you know, that, uh, that, that people of a certain age would experience with seeing him in that role. Grease has always been one of my favorite movies. I watched it so many times when I was younger with my parents. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to watch Grease. One time my mom caught me watching it at my Nana's house and she made me change the channel because it's so gross. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is a little racy. It um, is it, more I, than most people remember. Well, do you, well, you guys yeah. remember John Travolta was in Hairspray? When they did yeah, the Hairspray, he was the mom. He's great in Hairspray. <laughs> Obviously, the movie is saying something with the title. It brings it up first thing. There's the there's a title card with the two definitions of pulp uh, on it, which uh, are a soft, moist, shapeless mass of matter, or a magazine or book containing lurid subject matter and being characteristically printed on rough, unfinished paper. So your your pulp uh, paperbacks and things where you have, you know, mysteries and detectives and sci-fi and fantasy and all, all these different types of novels. Wh- what do you think calling this film pulp fiction? What is the overlying message of that when you slap that label on what this story is? Because you, there are a lot of things that you could name this that would make much more like literal sense and, and, and be an obvious thing. Why is it pulp fiction? Uh, my guess, I don't really know. My guess would be that that uh, he knew there's going to be lurid subject matter here and wanted something that 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 uh, that alluded to that. But what, what the title card reminds me of is when the the when uh, Monty Python's Flying Circus would just come out and tell people where to send their complaints at the B- to the BBC because they knew people were going to complain about certain sketches. It was, I sort of saw this as Tarantino saying, uh, look, I know you're going to get upset about this. All right. Let's just be upfront. There's going to be a lot of lurid stuff in here and, uh, and just relax. It's just a movie. Yeah. And it's also, of course, an homage to the things he read growing up. I mean, this is, again, he he does this. Like, for instance, I mentioned the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood novelization, which I, I have. And this is this is the form at first. There was no hardcover. There was a there's a like dime store paperback book. That's it. There, This is what he grew up reading. It's what he what he you know, what he liked and the 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 I. I I do think there is there is a there is a, a minor message here, which is that the form of the product matters. Um, and you see this not only in in, you know, in his films, but the fact that he collects films, he collects film prints. He has he has he now owns two movie theaters that only show actual film prints. Um, and I think that that sort of thing matters to him. Uh, the 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 medium is the message, if you will. Um, and and it 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 it. Uh, it, it 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 means a lot to him personally. Yeah, because you can see that in a lot of his activism about, like you said, preserving film and and wanting people to appreciate it. But he he also creates films with that love in mind, with the spectacle. You saw that with the Hateful Eight uh, seventy millimeter road show that they did, where they brought it to special theaters and they had an act break and a uh, uh, an overture and everything, just like you would. It was it was really really great. So there is that kind of embedded, um, you know, the medium carries a nostalgia and a grandeur for him that he wants to build into the stories. And I think 
you see that we've seen that a lot with his historical revisionist kind of ideas. I'm curious if that was sort of a, a reaction or or wanting to go in a different way from something like Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs, because there has seemed to be a sort of pivot in his career. I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood gets closer back to like where he was originally, but in a more mature way, perhaps. Um, I don't know if y'all would agree with that, but it it definitely the the and the setting of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and where it is and that type of California uh, and during that time period, I think, is very much about the medium and and what goes into that culture of of Hollywood and and what it creates. But I don't know if if y'all agree with that. Uh, yes. Uh, to, to yeah, I mean, I I think I, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is really interesting in in part because he is doing again. I I mentioned this before, but it's it's interesting because he is doing the historical revisionism thing, but he's doing it in a slightly different way to slightly different ends. Um, and he's also like he he's also playing with our ideas of what uh what a what it what it. The, the the most interesting thing in that movie is the the treatment of Cliff Booth and his uh his um the possibility that he killed his wife because what that movie is asking you to do is by not telling you one way or the other uh whether he did or did not it is saying you know do you um can you accept that this possibly terrible person is also necessary to do good things in the world in which this movie exists? The book is interesting because it like makes it very clear that he killed his wife. Like the book is the book is like, you know, you can tell it's canon for the movie or not. But the but the but the book is like, yes, he he murdered her and got away with it. And and, you know, take that and, and do what you want with it. Um, But the the. Uh, the the nostalgic factor uh, for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is very strong. And the idea of like people, film execs sitting down and throwing on like 16 millimeter prints to watch them in their home because they don't have VHS. There's no DVD. There's no Blu-ray um, is very is is kind of interesting and amusing. And again, like calls to mind Tarantino's own actual existence because he does that. He just sits at home and will watch like 16 his own 16 millimeter prints of stuff. I also think we're like super quick to try and categorize films. And I think Tarantino's films are probably some of the more difficult to categorize. Um, like Pulp Fiction, I, I mean, I'm going to throw it out there. I'm not sure how you would categorize it in terms of like putting it into its own. Is it its own genre? Or I have also was reading a few things that were claiming that it just kind of bursts open genres and kind of is like the defining movie of the 90s and i think like other like you were saying with quentin tarantino's other movies they're a little bit more um easily definable maybe um i'm not even sure how you would how would you categorize pulp fiction if you had to put it in, like in a certain type of movie it's Altman-esque, right? It's like, this is like, uh, you know, and it's like an old, it's like an old Altman film, like a MASH or a Nashville or, um, something like that, uh, in the sense that it is following a bunch of different, following an ensemble cast doing a bunch of different things, uh, all, all kind of at the same time. Um, 
But it did give rise to the adjective Tarantino-esque, right? Tarantino-esque connotes its own thing. And you had a whole bunch of Tarantino imitators, you know, uh, what it was, it a dozen way to die, die in Denver. Uh, you know, the, or I forget the name of that movie. There, there's just a whole, there's a whole world of film that, uh, was spawned in the, you know, mid to late nineties that, uh, that owes itself to Pulp Fiction, which is about the best way you can describe like a new genre. I, I hadn't really given Tarantino, Tarantino you know, said that he created a new subgenre of gangster films. I haven't really thought about how to categorize Pulp Fiction in terms of a genre. Obviously, it's a gangster film, but it is like Reservoir Dogs, a gangster film where you really get inside the heads of some of these gangsters. You do see that uh, there's good and bad in each of them. You have these really dramatic conflicts that get uh, that get set up and then uh, resolved in uh, sometimes in uplifting ways and sometimes in very tragic ways. Uh, it is. And, and, and what stands out, uh, uh, one thing that stands out about uh, Tarantino's subgenre of gangster films is they're so much funnier than all of the others. I mean, it's parts of Pulp Fiction are hilarious. Parts of Reservoir Dogs are hilarious. And, and and so yeah, I don't I don't have a I don't have a nice, um, uh, you know, a nice pithy uh, uh, genre title or whatever to, to give to these films. One thing though that that has come up is that it seems this seems like one of those films that ties together multiple threads uh, at once. I really I I I don't quite see Pulp Fiction that way. It is it is fragmented. The the the, the the narrative is non-linear. It jumps around in time, but I think it is much more tightly. Uh, uh, inter- all these storylines are much more tightly interconnected than the storylines in Shortcuts, which was a film that came out the year prior. Uh, also set in Los Angeles, a uh, bunch of seemingly random people whose lives do come together in in a certain way. Uh, Magnolia, sort of the same way. Uh, much more uh, 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 loosely connected uh, storylines that, that that do uh, come together in one way. Uh, I, I, as I said before, I think Pulp Fiction is a much tighter package uh, than than all of those, uh, and and that they um, uh, all the storylines pretty closely related and all serve the same central theme that I mentioned before of how to. Break the cycle of violence. And now for the time in the show where we get to share all of the other things that we've been enjoying with our time at home. This is Locked In. Why don't we start with canon? Right now I'm enjoying Loki, the uh, Marvel television show through television series through Disney+. Plus. Uh, I have, I'm almost done with the first season. I've been trying to avoid spoilers on Twitter. It's kind of hard. Uh, I've been seeing some people have what they thought I'll describe as incredulous and maybe even negative reactions. I'm not sure what they're talking about yet. Maybe it's time travel is a, is a theme and people always get upset about time travel, but, uh, I'm, 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 I'm four episodes in and I'm enjoying it. I mean, it's, it's fun. It's, uh, it's, it's not what it's, it's not what I thought. I can see a little bit of formula in there, but it's, uh, I'm still having a good time with it. 
How much other Marvel knowledge do you know? Do you need to watch it? Oh, it helps if you've seen all of the films. There okay. are uh, all there of it. You need all of it. That's the whole point of the whole backs, MCU. But, but I've never read. But I've I've never read any 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 Marvel comic books. So you know. Okay. You, you, you well, because I enjoyed WandaVision. Far. And I didn't have like I didn't pick up on all of the Easter eggs that were in Wandavision, but I still enjoyed it, even though yeah. my yeah. my Marvel Same. knowledge isn't as and, you know. And maybe that's the test to tell you whether you're talking to a nerd or not. Uh, <laughs> if 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 they acknowledge that you can enjoy it without seeing all of the films and other shows from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, then that person is not a nerd. But if they say, <laughs> "Oh my God, Natalie." What are you doing? <laughs> then that person is definitely a nerd. And that's why I had to step avoided. away from Star Wars recordings because I'd only seen like the the big stuff and I didn't understand anything. She else. refuses <laughs> to do them with me. So I she will not do all, any more Star Wars. She leaves recordings. them all to me. Yeah. What about you, Sonny? Uh, I, well, I mentioned this right before the show started, uh, but I, uh, I just finished a book called Killer Instinct by Jane Hampshire. Um, uh, the subtitle is How Two Young Producers Took on Hollywood and Made the Most Controversial Film of the Decade. Uh, she produced Natural Born Killers with her partner. Um, and it's, it's actually very interesting to read in concert with watching Pulp Fiction because, uh, Quentin Tarantino is a character in this book. Quentin Tarantino, of course, wrote uh, a draft, uh, like the first draft of Natural Born Killers. I think he still has a story credit on Natural Born Killers. Um, but uh, but like it's it, it, it is interesting to watch him like uh, as as this as this story is being told in this book, you know, um, uh, Reservoir Dogs comes out and it's, you know, a big cult hit, but it's not necessarily a huge box office hit. But Tarantino's demand is in huge demand as a, as a script doctor and, and is, is, you know, getting tons of offers and he's, he's about to make, uh, Pulp Fiction, which of course would go on to win him, uh, his first Oscar. Um, it's just interesting to see how he is, he's being, he is treated by Hampshire and everybody else in this, especially as he gets like, his head gets a little bigger and he starts, you know, kind of becoming more of a, I'm Quentin Tarantino. You're not going to make this movie without my permission, you know, sort of guy. Uh, it's, 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 it's fascinating. It's not a pro Tarantino book. I'll put it that way. It is very anti Tarantino. It is Tarantino skeptical. So I just finished. I binged it over the weekend. Ted Lasso. Phenomenal. It's very fun and heartwarming. I'm not a sports person. Um, it has a sort of quickness to it. He that is it's like almost 30 rock, but not quite zany enough. Uh, and it's mostly just contained within like a handful of characters, kind of that Leslie Nope energy. Um, but everyone is, you know, great ensemble cast, very quick, surprisingly heartwarming and sad sometimes. I really liked it. Um, if you've got Apple TV, then definitely go watch it. If you don't, I don't know if it's worth buying the subscription for, but that's just me. I haven't explored deeper into Apple TV. Um, Mythic Quest is also great. That is the other thing that I have heard is good, and I might give a shot at some point soon. Um, Mythic Quest is is quite also good isn't as well. um isn't the is it more the morning show is that the one with um, that yes the Reese morning Witherspoon. show yeah yeah that was another um, one that looked interesting. The one that I've also heard a lot of good things about that I want to try next is uh, Schmigadoon, which is um like a musical. Oh. Musical Great. parody. Musical parody. That's <laughs> right. I don't know. Um, yeah. It's supposed to be very good. Um, 
So I'm going to try it out. Uh, and it's got Cecily Strong and Keegan-Michael Key as the leads in it. And uh, a lot of other good people, it looks like, in the in the cast. Um, so I'll probably check that out next. I will echo what Landry said about Ted Lasso. Might be uh, Apple TV might be worth it, if only to get Ted Lasso. It's just that good. Oh, wow. I just started The Expanse. I'm only on the second episode. It's going to be an undertaking, but there have been like five or six people that told me that I'd really like it. So that one's on Amazon Prime and it I like it so far. I wouldn't say it's one of those that was like first episode, like definitely convinced me I should watch the rest of the show. Um, but I, I will give it time. And the what else did I I guess that's kind of all I've I've watched recently. I'm still um Still on my quest to read every World War II fiction novel there is. Um, and I started another one called The Nightingale. I'm about halfway through. It's, um, you know, that's my shtick. So. <laughs> Thanks for listening. As always, the best way to get more Pop and Lock content is to follow us on Twitter. You can find us at the handle at Pop and Lock Pod. That's Pop. The letter N, lock with an E like the philosopher, pod. Make sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen as well. We look forward to unraveling your favorite show or movie next time. Pop and Lock is produced by me, Landry Ayers, and is co-hosted by Natalie Dowzicki. We're a project of libertarianism.org. To learn more, visit us on the web at www.libertarianism.org. Dot org.